2: Good Monday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Cantania with David Faber, Sarah Eisen, at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer has the morning off. Futures are solid despite yields close to one-week highs. The market watching for headlines on Israel-Gaza will get 15% of the S&P this week in earnings, including Tesla, Netflix, Goldman, and Powell speaks on Thursday. Our robot begins with the big week ahead for investors as we get set for all of these results, including B of A. As we said, Netflix and Tesla in there as well. Also, we got Pfizer. It slashed its sales forecast for its
3: COVID vaccine and therapies late on Friday. Shares, though, actually not going to be down ahead of the open.
4: And watching Apple, reports of disappointing iPhone sales in China.
2: Let's begin with this new week for the market. It's going to have something for everybody. Obviously, we're on the lookout for geopolitical headlines as we watch to see if Israel makes a move into Gaza. But as we said, earnings season will heat up. The Fed speak calendar, Sarah, is insane.
4: It's heavy. (laughs) There's a lot of them. And you know what's interesting is that FedSpeak has moved from hawkish to dovish now for the markets because increasingly you've got a number of these Fed speakers saying, we're okay waiting and seeing the impact of our higher rates. They're not expressing any kind of alarm or panic over the fact that inflation numbers have come a little bit firmer. CPI last week was firmer. Expectations in the University of Michigan sentiment number on Friday were a little bit firmer. And the data overall has continued to not point to recession. But it does feel like the groupthink guys at the Fed has moved toward, let's let's pause, let's wait a little bit and see the impact of the tightening. And by the way, the move in the long-term treasury yields, the big sell-off we saw there, that, that's restrictive, and they're paying attention to that and kind of feeling like that might be doing some of the work for them when it comes to rates. But Powell will be good because this is a sort of authoritative chance for him to put on the table another rate hike or not. And it'll be the first time he gets to react to CPI and PPI and, and the last job support, all of which have been strong.
3: Is there, is there a point at which it's almost too much, though? I mean, you know, Carl just tweeted out the schedule. I mean, it's endless. You're not going to bring <laughs> us every single, there's there's
4: never gonna, every single sound.
3: enough. Is it going to be every single soundbite from every single person I'll try, this week? but
4: we do have earnings, which is which makes us for a little okay, more so interesting. We're gonna... And we're going to try to get the forecast from companies because so far, so good, right, with the banks with Pepsi. I mean if we've only had a few reporting so far but none of them are talking about recession and none of them are worst case scenarios. There's stuff to monitor like in the banks talking about higher net charge offs for instance at JP Morgan and Wells Fargo, more credit card debt being used by Americans, but again, not nothing alarming at this point as far as what they're expecting.
2: Yeah, got about 11% of the S&P in so far uh, B of A this morning says 81% beating on EPS, uh, about 9% above consensus, two ex-financials. David, uh, of course, Friday was eventful, and we'll get a lot more tomorrow.
3: Yeah, and again, as as Sarah said, the banks, I mean, yes, expecting more charge-offs, but frankly, things not near where some had anticipated they would be, given the state right now, commercial real estate, or at least what seems to be the view of weakness there in particular. You know, that is, a, uh, we talked to Willie Walker last week. You know, it's a slower moving story, as we've said many times. The charge-offs will come, but they aren't here as yet, and that's
4: still a small percentage overall. Right, right,
3: yeah. Um, and we'll see what follows, obviously. Uh, as well.
4: Less optimism, though, about, I would say, the ones that are reporting this week. Bank of America, people have been zeroing in on the unrealized bond losses in that portfolio. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley, whose stocks have underperformed, especially at a time where the CEOs have been a little optimistic about a return green shoots in the, in the investment banking world. Matt Maley, really the technical analyst, Miller Tabak this morning, highlighting the weakness in Morgan Stanley stock leading into this earnings in the recent weeks.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. Morgan Stanley has a succession contest going on that I think is going to come into sharper focus pretty soon because it's not that far away. Three uh, different people vying for that top job that James Gorman will be stepping aside from. And then Goldman Sachs, of course, we're going to be focused on. Will they say anything more in terms of their continued retreat from Consumer, the Wall Street Journal, Carl, today yet again? having another story about how internally people are so opposed to it, and why do we even have the Apple Card, and what can we do to get rid of the Apple Card, and why are we doing any of this stuff, and it's not going particularly well, even though, again, it is such a small percentage of overall, to Sarah's point, obviously investment banking revenues uh, and, and trading in fixed income in particular um, are going to be much more important.
2: Yeah, uh, employees apparently can't wait uh, to unwind a lot of that. Some managers have already moved on to other divisions. There's these talks with Amex, but there's MasterCard in the mix, kinds of make makes it a little messy. That brings us to one last point before we talk to Dan Suzuki about Birkenstock and this piece today about how the timing of that deal sort of misjudged. Uh, the window, as we saw at break 40 late last week.
4: It was a tough week, I mean, to go public, but not, not an inspiring debut. I don't know if you take more out of it that it's a, it's a retail, st- basically it's a consumer discretionary stock going public at a time where there are questions about the, whether the global consumer can hang in there or if it was just weak markets. I will say, you know, it continues, Carl, when you talk about the key to the market, continues to be focused on on bonds and treasuries. And you just, you saw that sensitivity last week when any bond rally was bought by stocks. Even mild bond rallies, where we saw yields lower, was huh, okay. Some relief for stocks, and that's reversing this morning. So, so we have to watch that amid increasing talk of high for longer. I'm not going to say higher for longer anymore because we don't know if they're going to continue to raise rates. But high right. for longer, and then at the same time, you know, this deluge of, of issuance that needs to happen for treasuries and increasing concerns. There were a lot of notes this weekend about supply and demand. We had three auctions last week that were on the weaker side. So the question of who is that marginal buyer of treasuries? Is it hedge funds? Is it institutions? Is it households? Because we know that foreign governments haven't been participating as much. And we know, what was the Apollo chart? On average, across the yield curve in 2024, 23% higher issuance than this year. So they're going to have to raise a lot of debt.
3: That's a lot. And you've talked about it and reported on it, uh, and we will continue to because it's so important. But, yeah, that's an enormous amount. Do we know what the imputed increase potentially will be in yields on the longer end as a result of this supply, demand, imbalance? I guess we can't figure it out above what what the Fed would like. Larry Fink
4: talked about 5 percent, not necessarily on that issue, but he's he's concerned about sort of sticky inflation. A lot of people are throwing out the 5 percent number on the long bond
2: yield. Uh, It's true. Uh, For more on all of this, let's bring in uh, Dan Suzuki of Richard Bernstein Advisors. Dan, great to have you. Thanks for helping us kick off the hour. I wonder uh, your thoughts on that, whether or not um, five has some kind of magical power, and if we can sort of chip away at this relationship between yields and and equities lately.
5: Yeah, Carl, I don't think there's anything magical about the number five, but I do think it has a lot of psychological importance here. So I think that, um, you know, listen, I think that we're, the, there's actually been improving and encouraging uh, risks to the growth front. And I think that if growth is improving, uh, particularly from a profits perspective, that could cause more hiring, more investment spending, and that could cause more bullish uh, a more bullish outlook for the economy. That could put push rates in the short term above 5%. I don't think that it's going to stay there necessarily for a long period. Um, Because if it gets that high, uh, you know, that means the Fed probably has to come in and actually, uh, you know, slow down the economy a little bit. You actually have a bearish uh, move uh, on the back of that and you could actually see rates go lower. So in the near term, while we have that upward momentum, sure, we could break through five. But I do think the risk reward is getting a lot better, you know, for that long part of the curve.
2: Is that because of what we think GDP will be? For Q3, I mean, you make the point about uh, corporate earnings. There is an argument that if Q2 earnings were about margins, Q3 and Q4 are going to be largely about demand.
5: Yeah, I think you're you're, you're seeing it pretty uh, pretty broadly across the indicators that matter for earnings. You're seeing demand pick up. Uh, you're seeing an industrial production, manufacturing, labor, all across the board. The stuff that matters is saying that things are, are not great from a level perspective, but they're getting better. Uh, and that's going to put upward pressure uh, on growth. And that, so I think corporate pro- we're on the positive side uh, of the corporate profit cycle. So I think you're going to see earnings not only improve but surprise to the upside. Uh, so I think that's going to be a very big positive uh, tailwind for particularly the cyclical areas of the market.
4: But for Q3, maybe. But then, Dan, what, what happens in Q4 and into twenty-four? Because GDP, we know GDP growth is going to be really strong this quarter. But estimates for fourth quarter are starting to come out early, and they're a lot weaker, and there's more pessimism building around 2024. So what happens to the earnings trajectory then?
5: 100%, Sarah. I couldn't agree more. I think, I, you know, personally, I have a lot more confidence uh, on the recovery and profits than I do in the economy. I mean, I think we have to, you know, face the facts that there's already been a massive decoupling between the economy, which is close to running at like 10% nominal, if you believe uh, GDP now, versus earnings growth, which has been negative, right? I mean, it's already been decoupled. You know, the question is, is are they going to recouple as things improve on the profit side, or can profits improve yet the overall economy continues to slow? And I think that, um, you know, I, I see those risks to the overall economy. I, the, the reality, though, is the levels of whether it's the, the corporate balance sheets or the consumer balance sheets or levels of cash, um, I, I, I just think it's going to take time, you know, to get to these levels for those to fall to levels where you really have to worry about a major slowdown in the economy. I mean, if you think of incomes which is probably one of the biggest drivers you know, of, of consumption, which is the, the lion's share of our economy. Income levels are still you know, basically high single digit levels, which would be historically you know, equate to sort of peak level income earnings, uh, so income growth. So I think that it's going to take time for those to really calm down where you have to worry about you know, the economy you know, going to recession. I don't think that's happening anytime soon.
2: Dan, thanks so much for that. Uh, good to talk to you. Talk soon, I hope. Uh, Dan Suzuki, Richard Bernstein. Okay.
4: Now on to the Israel-Hamas war entering its 10th day. NBC News correspondent Kelly Kobiea is in Tel Aviv this morning for us with the latest.
0: Kelly. Sarah, good morning. Yes, a stormy Tel Aviv this morning. Lots to update you on. First, that Rafa crossing in Gaza. That's the crossing between uh, Gaza and Egypt, which we've been talking so much about the past couple of days. Still no signs that it is about to open, but there are hundreds of people there, foreign nationals, people who have foreign passports as well as uh, family in uh, the Gaza Strip waiting to get across that border. Uh, Antony Blinken, Secretary of State, has said Rafa will reopen. He said that yesterday, but at this hour, intense uh, negotiations are going on internationally with the United Nations, Israel, Egypt, and the U.S. to try to find a way to briefly open that border, briefly if need be, to allow aid into Gaza and to allow those foreign passport holders to get out of Gaza, including an unknown number of Americans. Some 500 to 600 Americans are actually in Gaza right now, according to uh, U.S. officials. So not much movement, sadly, on that at this hour. There were hopes once again today that it would be uh, reopened. Uh, meantime, the uh, Israelis were saying that there there would be a gap once again today for people in Gaza to make their way south from 8 a.m. until 1 p.m. That, that time has now passed. It's about four o'clock in the afternoon here. Uh, the Israeli defense uh, forces say that about 600,000 people have now made their way to the south, keeping in mind that about Half the population of Gaza is in uh, northern Gaza, Uh, so about a million people. So a a huge number of people have now made their way out, but there is still a danger to them uh, and a humanitarian danger as well as a danger from airstrikes, Israeli airstrikes continuing throughout the night and today, hitting Hamas targets. And there is a Security Council meeting uh, for the Israeli government tonight at 8 o'clock, so we may know more about Israel's war plans as of tonight guys back to you
2: kelly thank you we'll talk soon uh, kelly Kobe, mbc news in tel aviv today when we come back uh, the message from pfizer after it issued that warning on profits late friday citing some lower demand for covid products take a look at the pre-market here as we said pretty steady we'll get to news on schwab news corp lulu uh pfizer of course apple and some calls on instacart and uh, some of these glp ones when we come back
6: let's get straight to the point
3: shares of Pfizer, you can see they erased what had uh, looked to be significant potential losses in the stock. The company holding an investor call over the last hour, this after it slashed its full year guidance. That was late on Friday, so you may have missed it. Uh, It cited lower demand for its COVID vaccines, its treatments such as Paxlovid. Let's bring in CNBC's health and pharmaceutical reporter Angelica Peebles and get the latest. Anything said on the call, Angelica, that perhaps uh, made investors feel a bit better about this lack of demand for both the vaccines and the therapies?
7: Yeah, David, Pfizer today is saying that this is actually a good thing because it will provide some predictability going forward. You know, they've been talking about um, moving Paxlovid, especially into the private market. Right now in the U.S., it's been distributed by the U.S. government. And now they're saying this new deal with the government provides them an opportunity to start selling the um, selling the antiviral directly to insurers or they'll reimburse uh, get reimbursed by insurers. And what we saw with the COVID vaccine was when that transition happened from the federal distribution to the private distribution, of course, the price went up pretty substantially. And so now they're saying that this will give them a path to, you know, go forward here and uh get higher revenue going forward.
3: Yeah, I mean, although revenue was slashed dramatically yes. for the quarter, I mean it came down, well we're talking now a range of 58 to 61 billion dollars. That said, to be fair, Angelica, the stock price as well has been down rather sharply. We pointed out as well, even when you look back over 20 years, Pfizer has not done much of anything. Um, are they talking about sort of where they see revenues bottoming and what kind of growth they see off of that?
7: Yeah, it's interesting because even Evercore had a note um, over the weekend saying that they're taking this short-term hit that will provide potentially long-term opportunity because, again, now that they can move into the private market, it'll help them establish this market going forward. And they are saying, of course, though, that they will see lower demand for Paxlovid and also the COVID vaccine they're expecting only about 17% of Americans to get this latest booster, which is a little surprising because that's what it was last year too. And we've heard from Moderna at least saying that last year was an anomaly and that we would see trends start to stabilize. But Pfizer executives today saying, look, we're past that emergency phase. And now we're going into the new normal where people are just really tired of COVID and the people who are gonna get the shots are the ones who want it and everyone else probably isn't gonna get it.
4: I also noticed that they got an upgrade today, which may be part of the reason that the stock is up. Jeffries takes it to buy at 39, mm-hmm. likes the idea that they're kitchen sinking this and, and feels like, I mean, the, the headline is sometimes you got to zig when they zag. Feels like the pipeline is strong, Angelica, including the, the RSV vaccine. They're working on mm-hmm. a number of cancer drugs. And I, I didn't realize they also have a contender for, a, for an obesity, oral obesity drug as well.
7: Yeah, Pfizer has a lot going on outside of COVID. It's been the message that they've been trying to get across to investors. But it's interesting because every time you see this COVID news, people react pretty strongly, even though they've been saying COVID is not over, of course. But, you know, the bulk of the COVID revenues are behind us. Let's focus on the future. Let's focus on obesity and the deals they've done, buying CGen and the cancer opportunity there. Again, saying today, look, we have other products this is just one and we're focusing on that going forward.
3: Yeah, you bring up CGen, of course, their large deal that has yet to close. Uh, mm-hmm. My understanding is they may actually be, uh, have sort of turned over all the documents for the second request of the FTC, meaning they're in full compliance, but probably won't actually say that for another five days or so. Let me just end though with this statistic you gave us on, um, on how many people will actually take a COVID vaccine, 17% or something along those lines? How does that compare to, like, people who take the flu vaccine in a given year?
7: People, about half of Americans typically get a flu shot. That can vary year by year. but And that's what we were expecting. Again, Moderna saying that we're going to start to see COVID look more like flu. And even Pfizer not that long ago saying they expected it to be around about a quarter of Americans getting this most recent one. And so it is interesting to see them saying that 17 percent in line with last year still – Not quite what they had hoped, but they are working on a combination, flu and COVID vaccine, and so is Moderna. And that's really the hope that if you can get COVID and flu at once, that it'll raise all boats.
2: Angelica, we'll watch it today. Uh, thanks very much. Angelica Peebles on some of the pharma names this morning. Uh, still to come, we'll get uh, more of today's movers, including Schwab out with earnings, going to open up uh, slightly lower. We'll talk about deposits and average uh, daily trades. Don't miss an exclusive with Walt Bettinger as well at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Back in a moment.
5: Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at comcastcorporation.com.
2: I think it's too early to speculate on whether or not there will be significant consequences. I think, importantly, it depends on um, whether uh, the hostilities extend beyond Israel and Gaza. And that's certainly an outcome we would like to avoid.
1: And and are you and and the Treasury Department preparing for that eventuality
3: and and what it might do to the the global economy if, if the conflict does broaden out in that way?
2: Look, I think it's very early days and we're monitoring the situation at this point. That's the Treasury Secretary this morning with Sky's uh, Wilfred Frost talking about the potential impact of the Israel-Hamas war. Netanyahu's on the tape this morning, guys, uh, warning uh, Iran and Hezbollah not to test uh, the northern border, uh, adding that uh, any operations in Gaza are going to take time.
4: CNBC's ex-CNBC Wilfred Frost, now Sky News. Yeah, no, I, I look, the, for the markets, this is the key point, right, about whether Iran enters the fray as a major oil exporter, whether there will be more. Um, sanctions on Iran, if that does happen, with the U.S.'s full-throated support for its ally Israel. And we heard that from Secretary Yellen, as well, who went on to say in that interview that we absolutely can afford and have the capacity to help Ukraine and help Israel at the same time, which is increasingly a story in Washington, without the Speaker of the House, uh, and whether we can — we can get — more aid passed in this government and also help fill our munitions and potentially increase our defense spending, which is something that Mark Esper, the former defense secretary on this show, and others have called on us to do.
3: Even though defense already is an enormous percentage of the overall budget, we may need to spend even more. Yeah, more. Um, I mean, the mar- listen, the market does not seem to be overly concerned at this point with the potential for Hezbollah to enter uh, in a significant way. But the implications of that, as you say, Sarah, would be quite Significant in that it is a proxy of Iran, and therefore would it pull Iran in, and therefore would it potentially have
4: impact on oil
3: and or the U.S. making a decision as well to, become to enter? Yeah, I mean, that, and so that is a that scenario a under which the market would be very different were it to be something that actually happened. But it's, it certainly has to be still. A significant concern, especially given what is on the northern border of Israel going on right now in terms of the back and forth.
4: 100 percent. Just because we're not seeing it reflected in U.S. equities doesn't right. mean it's not out there. If you look at some of the savings, I mean, gold jumped 5 percent last week, yes. gold prices. If you look at places like the Japanese yen, the Swiss franc, the Swiss franc is really taking a big jump against the euro in a sign that there is a flight to safety here on this increasingly worrisome geopolitical issue.
2: Let's get the opening bell and the CNBC real-time exchange at the big board. It is financial services company Oppenheimer celebrating its brand relaunch. And at the NASDAQ, it's Cubsico honoring the closing of Hispanic heritage
6: Month. Speaking of financial services you want to dive into schwab
4: all right let's dive into schwab ahead of our interview next uh, in the 11 o'clock hour with walt bettinger the ceo schwab shares were lower last i checked in the pre-market and Look, it was lower profits. We expected that from a year ago, about 44% down. Revenue missed slightly. What investors are focused on here, the deposit outflows. They had 7% fewer deposits this quarter from last quarter. And even though Schwab continues to say the so-called cash sorting issue is getting better, that's when investors move to lower margin, higher yielding options like money market funds from the Schwab Bank. That's what was the big concern on Schwab. The market is still having questions about that. Of course, there's still questions about the integration of TG Ameritrade and just how much attrition is there in terms of shifting customers over into the Schwab platform. But I will tell you that we're not seeing a big decline. And part of the reason why is look at the year-to-date performance on the stock, David. It's down already almost 40 percent.
3: Yeah, well, it, as you see, it did rebound, not all the way, but certainly had a significant rebound, Sarah, after that enormous decline in the spring when there were real concerns about the company's balance sheet and, as you pointed. Out the movement of accounts out of uh, you know out of Schwab to a certain extent and or their need to have to pay a much higher rate of interest. But what accounts for this recent decline? Then is it simply a move up in
4: move in up in rates. rates? Move up in rates, right? Yeah. The move in rates has that has clients potentially moving into higher yielding instruments like money markets. We all thought that that kind of had passed as the Federal Reserve was set to stop raising interest rates. And then it picked up again in the last few weeks. It's it's not dissimilar, David, from the move we've seen in regional banks, the move that we've seen in banks like Bank of America as well with those higher interest rates, just making it more appealing for customers to, to move their deposits elsewhere. And also banks have to pay up more. For without deposits, a, without and that doubt. also pressures profitability. No doubt.
3: Uh, now, to the extent that there were many questions on the spring about Schwab that were much more uh, existential, so to speak, have they answered that? I think that they've all? answered if, that. If, if we'll many, on, if not all of them. Ma- I know he's come on with times. you many times, right? Many
4: times. And, and you have to also think that part of this is, you know, they, they also have a big retail brokerage and retail trading. and so. Like the, when stocks aren't as appealing even if there is volatility that that certainly that certainly doesn't help we're going to talk to him about all of these issues look we had some reporting on CNBC a few weeks ago that there were questions about succession as well so I think he's he's looking forward to coming on and and talking about the bank but and defending it like he like he always does remember he said in the heart of that existential crisis he's buying stock I he's remember, buying shares I which remember. was a big sort of line in the sand I don't think that's as much existential it's just a profitability question going forward with these with some of these banks.
2: Uh, You mentioned uh, the discussion about money markets and bonds versus equities. Great piece in the journal today, sort of trying to slice and dice the data out of Wall Street Bets, the forum on Reddit, where discussions of uh, T-bills are up 4x -hmm. and discussion about stocks is down about about 10%, I think, over the last several months. As I guess, I don't know, David, it's like the inverse of the meme environment, right?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean... Uh, listen, how many times have we said it? Uh, when you're looking at 4.7, 4.8 on the 10-year, or whatever it might be, of the possibility of 5% a year getting paid by the U.S. government, that amount, it gets your attention. Uh, it's an interesting story, though, not to mention, again, to Sarah's point, as rates have moved up, a lot of different sectors have moved down, and perhaps some a little less enthusiasm. But not lately last few sessions, things have looked a little better.
4: I mean, we're opening here with every sector even in the green. And I do, I wonder if the shift to earnings makes people feel a little bit better about the markets because the bulls say earnings expectations are going up. GDP growth is strong and people have jobs. And that bodes well for corporate America despite the higher rates and all the doom and gloom around the around the world. And if you look at the setup in earnings in places like Consumer staples, for instance. That has been such a hated sector lately. And I know it's the obesity drugs. It's also the, they're a classic bond proxy. So it's hard to know how much of it is worries about the obesity and how much of it is just the yield move higher rates, right, make them less attractive as big dividend payers. It's bouncing today, but you know we're 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 going to get earnings here from Coke next week, and I know there's some analysts love around these companies and their fundamentals, which they just say have if The stocks have gotten too cheap. All right.
2: this IXR, this chart you're looking at right here. Goldman's got a great uh, note today about their prime book. Uh, hedge funds last week sold Staples at the fastest in 11 weeks, and short selling is the largest in three months, 95th percentile over five years. I mean the reasons we don't we're not sure about, you can guess there's a couple good suspects, but that's some that's some ridiculous action in Staples. Also by the way, a B of eight today on GLP1 saying we're probably in the ninth inning, that this is really stretched in the Lily Novo. Uh, environment. Kind of hard to chase here, they argue.
3: And on the other side, we may be in the very early innings of really understanding what the impact may or may not be on all the sectors that we've talked about and or the stocks of particular companies that are thought to potentially suffer a decline in sales as a result of more and more people taking these uh, anti-obesity drugs. Um, You know, it's just too early, many would say, Carl, to really understand. And yet, as is often the case in the market, that hasn't stopped investors from selling now and then asking the questions later. And so we've looked at Hershey shares many times, but even, you know, far uh, afield, um, some of the retailers, those who sell food uh, and others have suffered, Sarah, as a result of just concern Amongst investors, that GLP ones will have a significant impact on a significant amount of the population over time in terms of their ability to want to eat,
4: and we just don't know yet, right? <laughs> no, because we, we don't know how, how widespread, don't. how long people stay on these drugs, how it impacts their buying behavior and their and their consumption. Hugh Johnston, the CFO of Pepsi last week when the company reported, said we're looking at it. That's what we heard from Kellanova CEO as well. But That's we correct. we just we we can't know. They don't have answers on this question,
3: and it's unclear yet. how they possibly could. And by the way, again the drug. Drugs have not been, certainly many people in the population have not yet taken them who might be eligible for them. There are also questions of reimbursement from insurance companies, although given the gathering data that seems to be there in terms of the health benefits, one would think that, that may get answered in the positive in terms of health insurers stepping up. But we don't have data over any long period of time.
4: We don't have data, but I think one interesting wake-up call was when Walmart, remember yes. when Walmart's John Furner of the U.S. business said in a recent interview, we are seeing customers with see a slight pullback in overall basket and less units, slightly less calories. Although, that, that was the first time we really got It's true. Evidence. I mean,
3: I, you know, Jim and I, I, I wasn't here much last week, but uh, we did, He believed that it may have been as much a result of people making healthier choices, not necessarily, Carl, if I don't want to misquote Jim, motivated by the fact that they were taking GLP-1s as much as just wanting a healthier choice. That Walmart, that's the outlier. Uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to Jim. (laughs) Day, sadly, <laughs> You are um, determined to
2: get your Jets-Eagles
3: trash no, it, talk it's in. it's just so many of our friends on Twitter who are really <laughs> looking forward to that moment when Jim, not that I don't want to see you here, Sarah, yeah, of course, you know it's that. Okay. But just to see Jim's Trangles face, yesterday. just to watch. Dude, first upset in franchise Hurts, history. Right? Yeah, first time ever. We've played them since 73. we would never beaten them. And then that last pass there from Jalen Hurts to, uh, well, not the last pass, but his last interception, one of three. That Jets defense, Mahomes, Allen,
2: and now Hurts, all made to not look very good. Yeah. Yesterday was interesting. Would you start Rodgers on his on his return, or would you start Wilson? Is Rodgers really going to come back this year? I, he's, no. He was passing yesterday with no I mean, no brace. It's.
3: I don't know. You yeah. can't. Uh, I know. I don't know what he's what <laughs> wizard he's got like blessing his ankle every day. Right. But, yeah. Anyhow, we diverge. We should probably hit Apple, guys, because if it Taylor is down. Taylor Swift wasn't
4: there, I didn't see it. So she I don't wasn't know what there. You're talking about.
3: Travis yeah. Kelsey was, though, I believe, there because his brother plays for the Eagles. And,
2: and SNL, of course. Yes,
3: and yeah. he was on a special appearance on SNL.
4: Yes, they were out in Nobu. They went to the after party. We're all tracking
3: it. Did they go to the after, after, after party? <laughs> I don't know. They
4: okay. went to the SNL after
3: party. I know. An That's an old account? joke from 30 Rock. Oh. I just love that. Um, <laughs> Apple shares are down 0.4%. This one is on a Bloomberg story, guys. Uh, and it is bucking the overall trend, of course, because we do have mega cap tech up. Um, sales of the flagship device in China are now down 4.5% compared with the iPhone 14 over their first 17 days after release. They're citing a company called Counterpoint Research, who estimated in previously unreported figures that were provided to Bloomberg News. So that is, although you feel as though there'll be about 17 different stories saying 17 different things between now and when we actually find the real numbers. Uh,
2: that said, Apple is the only Dow name that is read on what is a pretty good uh, open here, Dow up 250. Um, I don't know, we'll, we'll keep our eye on, uh, certainly, the the Magnificent Seven. Netflix does report this week there's actually quite a few takes about their push into gaming. Now they're going to have these sort of storefront locations called Netflix House, uh, which might try to to push consumer awareness. And then elsewhere in media, uh, David will continue to monitor whatever progress there is on on SAG, uh, along with uh, News Corp. And I know you're watching that. Yeah, we're keeping an eye on that.
3: Carl, unless I missed something, no progress on SAG lately since they walked away, correct? Yeah.
2: And then Sarando's comments late last week, just talking about asking for a slice of sub-revenue was a bridge too far. Right, its
3: right. Uh, as for News Corp, we're keeping an eye on that because there have been reports from Reuters and the Wall Street Journal that uh, Starboard, the well-known activist fund, may be taking a look at News Corp. Uh, following a plan that others have also cons- uh, sort of thought about and the company has as well, which would basically separate its digital real estate assets overall, saying that they're undervalued. Um, you have questions about this? Well, so do I. And uh, I'm going to be able to ask them of Jeff Smith, because tomorrow he and I are going to sit down for our annual interview from the active passive uh, conference that we always do. Going to have a number of different guests from there. But Mr. Smith, who I would point out last year uh, during the same interview, Salesforce uh, was the name yeah. and then Splunk as well. Uh, so not which a bad got track. Which
4: bought by Cisco. Recently. Which got, just
3: got bought. So not a bad track record there in terms of at least what he's covered in that interview that we do, where he does, thank you, Jeff, actually bring real, real, real stuff to the fore uh, every year. He so has we'll a, he has a he great says. track
4: record. We, we, just had him on, uh, we just had him for the CNBC Financial Advisor Summit, where he talked about some of his strategy and how he, how he sort of goes through picking value, stocks that he sees good value and then working with management or challenging management and boards on this. He's waged over a hundred activist campaigns and has an eighty percent, according to him, hit rate in terms of profitability and and being successful. Um, obviously, it depends how you how you characterize that. But depends some of the best is the you know the dart in replacing the entire board slate yeah, and having that, that successful. That's what
3: brought them to the fore in terms of really being Win, noticed, yeah. and obviously it was a great opportunity to raise assets, which they were able to do. But. There's no doubt he's rigorous.
4: Has he done media before? He usually, I, I've like um, restaurants and a lot of these domain names and internet trying to remember, companies. No, I
3: mean, sometimes tech, I don't remember a media name for good reason. It's like, by the way, News Corp's a controlled company. Important to point that out. So rare to see an activist really try to come up. And when you do, it's really just to sort of try and influence in some way. But you're not going to act, actually be able to act, take control in any way of the board, uh, given you are fighting a controlled company, that being the Murdoch family. Yeah. That said, they, they did not go forward with that, remember, the brief effort they made to reunite News Corp uh, and Fox, um, because it would have required a majority of the minority, and that was going to be very difficult. Not that they won't try again. I think many of us believe at some point they will. Of course, remember as well, Rupert Murdoch has stepped down as, uh, as chairman. He's sort of chairman emeritus, I think now, but doesn't mean that he's still not focused and/or very significantly involved. Given he controls the Murdoch family controls company.
2: Uh, watching Lulu uh, yeah. today, uh, getting added to the S and P, going to replace Activision Blizzard. If it can get above 410 or so, you'd be talking about uh, maybe fresh two-year highs. Uh, but uh, normally. Uh, B of A says names that get added are good for about 7% over the uh, couple days before uh, the actual addition, And this would be somewhere in that neighborhood.
4: It's funny. This was largely anticipated ever ever since the Activision news looked like it was going to happen, that that they were going to replace it. I guess there were some questions still, though, because it's a... It's, it's kind of a technical rule. It's based in Canada, Lululemon. That's where it's domiciled, and we don't usually have S&P 500 companies that are based in other countries, like Taiwan Semi, for instance, is not in the S&P 500, even though it's a big, important company. But they, they met the criteria. I think they're the only non-U.S. company in the S&P 500. A lot of their operations, obviously, in sales are in the U.S., and this has just... It, it's adding to what has been an already stellar performance by Lululemon year to date over the last year. Especially if you match that up with the competitors like a Nike or Adidas, they they just they don't have as much of the international macro headwinds. They have faster growth. They're obviously coming from a much lower base. But this stock has serious momentum. Look at the look at the comparison Amazing. chart there. That's just this year. Wow. Year to date.
3: Uh, 50, 53 three plus billion dollar market value. Um, yeah, fifty-four billion-dollar market value—not not that dissimilar, frankly, from uh, from what Activisions was more or less. Obviously, I wasn't here for the <laughs> for the final day. Of Microsoft uh, <laughs> closing that deal. After kind I mean, an I don't even know how many words I may have said about that transaction over the twenty-two months it took to complete it. Uh, um, I'm out of words now. I, yeah, exactly. Well done, Microsoft. Exactly. What a gauntlet. You, you know, know we,
2: ha- we haven't mentioned AMC. Uh, and the Taylor Swift concert film setting some records. One of the best October opens ever, uh, biggest open for a concert film ever. Uh, they're estimating somewhere in the high 90s in terms of $95, 97000000 million in opening grosses. That said, AMC stock has not reflected a lot of the strength that you might expect if you were bullish on the return of theatrical distribution.
4: No, there are bigger issues here, obviously, uh, for for theaters, but no question it's been a big boost to get Taylor Swift and then obviously Beyonce as well. Guys, just want to mention, you know, we've been following... We, CNBC did this great uh, on Squawk Box interview with Mark Rowan of Apollo last week, going oh, activist basically on University of Pennsylvania for some of their... Well, calling for the removal of their of their head of the school, and just over the weekend, you know, this has picked up steam. This idea of billionaires and investors and backers of universities making it clear that the way that they are handling this issue over the terrorist attack in Israel, over anti-Semitism in the campus, is unacceptable. Former Utah Governor uh, John Huntsman, Huntsman Foundation, they've invested millions over the years. Uh, University of Pennsylvania, they uh, have announced John Huntsman is ending his donations to the university condemning the school's moral relativism relativism. on Hamas, basically. calls it an unrecognizable university, um, fueled the university's race to the bottom, it says in the statement, and sadly, it's now reached a point where remaining impartial is no longer an option. So continuing to look here, following the money for some of these big-time donors hurting universities where they can.
3: There's a continued question as to whether donors should have real control over, you know, curriculum and or anything else at these universities, Sarah. But that said... It's not curriculum. No, I understand that. But in general, sort of the the operations of the university. Um, But the role of a president of these universities, one of the key roles is to raise money. And so if you are ostracizing a significant portion of your donor base, that's probably not a good thing and probably not the way you're gonna end up keeping your job.
4: Yeah, and it's not just ostracizing, but, it's, but, but they're, they're really drawing it drawing a line here on, on morality, on good versus bad when it comes to some of the way these universities have been handling protests, for instance, faculty, the University of Pennsylvania, that Mark Rowan, I mean, he went after them for the festival that they held in the school's name.
2: Uh, meantime, we'll watch uh, bonds, of course. A uh, little elevated today. We're going to get Harker two times, uh, 10.30 and 4 o'clock. Uh, last Friday, of course, he said we can pretty much hold rates where they are. Uh, 10-year, 4.7. Dow up uh, 250. About a third of that is UNH and Microsoft alone. We're back in a moment. Welcome back. Let's get to Bob Passani
1: talk about this open. Morning, Bob. And uh, very optimistic open. This was a change we saw last week. Rates moving up, and yet the stock market is up as well. In fact, two to one, advancing to declining stocks. Look at the sectors here. Heartening to see a little bit of a move up in the bank stocks after those generally better than expected bank reports on Friday. Metals and mining, good you know proxy for global growth holding up pretty well, not breaking out, but holding up. Industrial is also strong. Tech's lagging a little bit, but that's not a problem. Tech's held up very well. What you want to watch here is MGK. That's the Vanguard mega cap. This is the, all the big tech names are in here. Apple and Microsoft and Amazon, uh, Google as well here. That's only 5% from a new 52-week high. Now, banks are doing well on top of that, but there's not new, breakouts at all here we got good reports on Friday but the KBE which is the bank ETF that's about where it was back in March. No real movement there. And in fact, if you look at some of these big many center banks, uh, some of whom are still reporting, uh, they are just on the edge of 52-week lows. So you look at here, five percent from a 52-week low. Of Bank of America, Morgan Stanley, four percent, Goldman Sachs, three percent. We'll hear from Goldman uh, a little bit later on. We're going to hear from the regional banks as well shortly. And of course, we all know about what's going on there. Deposits are lower because of the higher-yielding alternatives that are out there. But even here, not much better. Five, six, seven, eight, nine percent uh, from new 52-week lows. So you want to keep an eye on that. We know loan growth is tepid, real estate's weak, and we know about the deposits being lower. So there's not a lot of new information. It's just not moving. Nothing is really coming off of the lows here on the bank issues. So where we are right now, there's two things that are important right now for the next few weeks. One is we are finally getting out of this seasonally weak period and ent- entering the seasonally strongest period of the year, which is November and December. And this is the quarter before election next year. That's also strong. And secondly, earnings have been very resilient. We have 32 companies reporting 90 percent are beating uh, on earnings per share. Uh, Ninety percent are beating on earnings. Sixty five percent are beating on revenues. That's generally better than they usually come out. So the earnings are going up for Q3 and Q4. And as for the big issue on interest rates, well, a lot of Fed officials were talking about last week about higher rate higher rates doing the Fed's work. That, I think, is what's really resonating with the market right now. Finally, we're going to have Kathy Woods on at 1230 Eastern Time on Halftime Report. Big thing over the weekend, the SEC decided not to appeal its loss in the grayscale case. And what this means is the, uh, the SEC will likely be forced to approve a spot Bitcoin ETF, and probably all of them. Kathy is one of the applicants. We'll talk about that and about how our investment and how our fund, the major fund, ARC, is doing. Carl, back to you. All right, Bob, talking a little bit about Bassani.
2: As Bob said, a pretty decent open here. Consumer uh, materials and banks are the sectors that are going to lead you higher with the Dow of about three quarters of a percent. Don't go anywhere.
3: You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street.
4: its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer,
0: please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation.